0: Welcome to the Learning Languages and Society with Gabby podcast, where it's all about the fascinating world of languages and culture. Let's rock! Hi everybody, my name is Gabby, and today we're going to talk about multilingualism. Yes, that's right. I told you I'd make more content for you, so please go ahead and enjoy, relax, sit down, And just listen to your favorite podcast. Okay, so what is multilingualism? Mm -hmm, Multilingualism. I think this is pretty much, this is self-explanatory, is what I would say. Now, there are different definitions for this term, just like for the term bilingualism uh, that we spoke about in the previous episode. So here is one definition that I like. According to the European Commission, the year 2007, multilingualism can be defined as the ability of societies, institutions, groups, and individuals to engage on a regular basis with more than one language in their day-to-day lives. So that's multilingualism, okay? Uh, The fact that two or more languages coexist in the same ground and they live side by side every day, uh, that would be a good definition of what multilingualism is, right? Now, this comes from the International Encyclopedia of Education. Here is another uh, example of the definition of multilingualism. Multilingualism is the ability of an individual speaker or a community of speakers to communicate effectively in three or more languages. Okay, that's a different definition. Uh, contrast that with monolingualism, which is the ability to use only one language. Okay, so many European countries uh, host a variety of languages within the same uh, political country, right? There are uh, also some exceptions to that, but there's many of them who host several different languages. Some of them have dialects and and different uh, smaller or minority languages as well within the same state, right? Uh, A person who can speak multiple languages is known as a polyglot or a multilingual, okay? So somebody who speaks more than one language. And the original language a person grows up speaking is known as their first language or mother tongue. Someone who is raised speaking two first languages or mother tongues is called a simultaneous bilingual, now, if they learn a second language later, they are called a sequential bilingual. So, for example, you grew up in a household where two languages are spoken or or they live side by side. Uh, then that in that case, you would have two mother tongues, right? So you would be called a simultaneous bilingual. So within the same context, you have two languages going on. So this, this would be the case... Uh, for example, in Catalonia, we have Catalan and Spanish. So, sometimes in many families, uh, the two languages are kind of used every day interchangeably. So, you might talk to your dad in one language and he may answer back to you in another language. So, you would talk to him in Spanish, he would answer back in Catalan. But then somebody would say, I don't know, your sister would come up and say something in Spanish. Half Spanish, half Catalan, and so on and so forth. So, all these different uh um, possibilities, right, it coexist together. And so this would make a person be a simultaneous bilingual, basically. Uh, if they learn a second language later, for example, in adolescence, if you learn a second language in adolescence, you would be called a sequential bilingual. Anyway, I think I covered some of this ground in the last episode when I spoke about bilingualism. So, let's refocus our attention on multilingualism. Now, well, the idea that the world was monolingual was the consensus in the past. So, people used to think that uh, every nation-state or uh every country, right, would have their own language, and that's that, just be monolingual. But then we discovered that half of the world's population, as we traveled, lives in some kind of uh, bi or multilinguistic environment. So it is the case that in many places, uh, people speak more than one language, right? The European Commission in the year 2006 conducted a survey in which it was revealed that 56% of respondents spoke another language besides their mother tongue. In some European countries, that percentage is even higher. In countries such as Switzerland or Luxembourg, a majority of the population speaks more than one language. And so the same goes for Latvia in the Baltics. Okay so there's many reasons why uh smaller countries or small countries such as Switzerland for example speaks different languages right you've got uh, the french part of Switzerland they speak french they got you got the swiss german which is their uh let's say their home language right that would be swiss german then they have german the german influx as well so they've got german just a uh, Hog Dutch, right? Hog Dutch, so traditional German there as well. Uh you get Italian as well. And you get Roman Roman, I think it's called. It's a different uh language which have similarities to uh Latin languages such as Spanish, right? So you've got all this, you know, melting pot of different languages, which makes Switzerland an incredibly linguistically diverse land. So just really beautiful. To, to know that, right? So many people in Switzerland are uh, bilingual and some of them speak three languages, which is really cool. Then you have countries such as uh, Luxembourg, where they speak their own uh, native variety of, uh, of German. Let's say they have traditional German as well, as well as French and also minority languages, mostly from immigrants from Italy and Portugal, so you got Portuguese and and Italian as well. Okay, interesting. Now, the case for Latvia uh, would be a little bit different. Latvia is uh, located in the Baltics. Uh, Latvia received a lot of uh, migration and a lot of, uh, let's say, cultural influx, if you want to call it that way, from Russia. So, you have a lot of Latvians who are Uh, directly descendants from the Russian families that um, moved to Latvia a few centuries ago. So a lot of the kids now learn Latvian, but also speak Russian. So you've got this sort of... uh, I don't want to know... I don't want to say it's a confrontation uh, between languages, but but you definitely have that sort of uh, melting pot right there. And, And yes, there's less unless unless Latvian speakers everyday in comparison to Russian speakers right so anyway let's just put politics aside and and continue now multilingual community communities are linguistically diverse but also ethnically religiously and culturally diverse okay obviously uh Language goes with culture, uh, and often with religion as well. And so, sometimes you have uh, different languages living together in one one play, in just one place. Uh, but sometimes you will realize that some of these languages do not share the same religion or the same, uh, you know, ethnic background or cultural background. So, uh, even though they live together or within the same within the same country, so okay, well. To me, that's an advantage that makes culturally rich and diverse a place. I don't think anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Just, uh, just uh, a really beautiful feature of uh, of the of humankind is sharing all this diversity together. That's really nice. I remember when I traveled uh, in the Middle East. When I was in the Middle East, I was in Syria, and I remember seen in damascus this was way before um any uh, the war in syria obviously and i was in damascus and i thought it was such a beautiful place and uh, the bazaars and everything and i remember at one point i saw uh this beautiful mosque uh not very far from a church not very far from uh a synagogue right and 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 you see the crossroads of history in one little place right there. When you have all these languages living together, Arabic and 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 Jewish uh, heritage, needs so you got Hebrew as well, and you you get Aramaic, and you have all these other languages, Asian languages, and 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 modern languages living together, and all this cultural heritage. Uh, just in one single place, I thought it was so amazing, and I promised myself I'd visit re- uh, Syria one day after that. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, history history sucks and, and and some of these countries have become, you know, war territory, unfortunately, and and it's no longer possible to to see any of that, unfortunately, really, unfortunately. But anyway. So, uh, so, yeah, a lot of languages, a lot of cultures, a lot of uh, ethnic backgrounds and religions can coexist in the same place, which is really cool. okay, now, most languages are uh, spoken only by five or six thousand people, so this is one thing that I. I wouldn't have imagined but here you go these are the stats the exact number of languages is impossible to determine because of the lack of precise linguistic criteria for distinguishing between languages and dialects okay well um uh, that's uh, that's pretty obvious sometimes you have uh, you have two languages that are considered completely separate and you would say no that's one language and that's a different language right there uh, but then they're mutually intelligible. So it also, it's almost like it's a continuum of two va- varieties of the same language that for historical political reasons became two separate languages. So sometimes that's weird. Uh, you got, for example, uh, the case of Norwegian or Danish. So these are two languages that are mutually intelligible in principle but are considered two different languages because of their different cultural heritage, I suppose. Uh, so obviously, uh, there's many factors in it, you know? There's not one way, one straight way to decide whether one thing is a language and one thing is a dialect. You know, there's there, they try, but, <laughs> you know, it's such a fuzzy territory because languages, after all, are just subjective matter. There's something in it that's intangible And they're just an idea, right? In a way, somehow it's a fabrication of the mind in a way. It's a a common fabrication between people of what consensus, uh, or it's a consensus of people of what language they speak, right? So sometimes you can think of your neighbors speaking a different language, but then... Uh, or a different dialect, but then it's considered language for just another reason, because he lives across the border from your country, so that language is no longer considered uh, the same language, but it might be considered just a dialect or maybe a, separate, a whole separate language. So Norwegian and Danish are mutually intelligible, coming back to our example, but are considered different languages, right? Strange, because the story goes like this. A Dane might be able to understand quite well Norwegian, okay? uh after little exposure and a Norwegian might be able to understand a Dane as well without little exposure right so they just they would be able to talk to each other in a simple conversation slowly and they would understand each other so there you go so not to separate languages really just maybe a variant or a variety of the same language but he but then they say, but then, but then think about this. A Norwegian is likely to understand a Swede even better. So he would understand somebody from Sweden better than, uh, than he would understand a Dane. Okay. Who knows? A Norwegian can understand a Dane without much difficulties. And he can also understand a Swede quite well. So a Swede, somebody from Sweden, conversely, might be able to understand a Norwegian quite well. But might have a harder time understanding a Dane, so Danish, as you know, spoken Danish, uh, is quite harder to understand. So you need to have to have you need to have more exposure to the language to be able to sort of decipher what it is. Once you do that, it's much easier to understand it. But maybe um, for the first encounter, that would be a harder a harder. Um, Exercise understanding a Dane than it would be understanding a Norwegian uh, coming from somebody from Sweden. Okay, now Danish and Norwegian uh, the, the, liter, the the written language is pretty much the same, so it's very easy to understand. Okay, so it's just a pronunciation, perhaps. Anyway, from all the three, from all three. Norwegian, Danish, and Swedish, it appears that Norwegians generally have an advantage and they understand Swedes and Danes uh, the best, so best, so more than these other two understand each other, understand Norwegians. So uh, I'm going to give you another example of why it's counterintuitive, what we call dialect and what we call language. We've got, for example, the case of Portuguese, right? So Brazilian Portuguese and European Portuguese. Uh huh. So sometimes they are not mutually intelligible. More often than not, the discrepancy goes only one way. Uh, Portuguese speakers understand Brazilians far better than Brazilians understand Portuguese. Again, this may be due to the fact that Portuguese speakers have more exposure. To television and and media in general from Brazil, uh, and Brazilians do not have as much exposure to uh, spoken uh, Portuguese from Europe, right? So from Portugal, I think that it's pretty much the same story for Norwegians and Swede and Swedish. A lot of uh, Norwegian people back in the day used to watch television uh, from Sweden, so. TV shows from Sweden, uh, music from Sweden, and so on and so forth. So they might be more exposed to Swedish. Maybe that's the reason why they understand Swedish better. Uh, Swedish people in general not are not as exposed to Norwegian TV or or news in general. So it'd be a little bit harder for them to understand Norwegians. But anyway, uh, so the same thing, as I was saying, the same thing goes for Brazilians and Portuguese uh Brazilians understand Portuguese not as well okay uh, especially because there are a lot of phonological changes in uh, or differences between the two and it's just more intuitive for Portuguese people to understand Brazilians right so the cadence uh, of the language is different and again they're more used to uh, listening or listening to Brazilian music or watching TV shows from Brazil, okay? So, poppers and so on. Uh-huh. Now, uh, the same language is called something different by its speakers and their neighbors. This is a case uh, that is rather common, for example, in India. So, Indian people would call... their own language one way and other people would call it a different way, right? So, in India, in 1961, it was registered that there were 1,652 different languages or different language names, anyway. Although, according to the Central Institute of Indian Languages, there are only about 400 languages. All right, there you go. So, it's just really hard to sort of uh, pinpointed the difference between dialect and language. Sometimes it's just so fuzzy, right? The most diverse area in the number of languages in the world is uh, Papua New Guinea with over 850 languages, can you imagine? Followed by Indonesia with 670 languages. That's a lot of languages in one small place. More than 200 languages are spoken in Nigeria, for crying out loud. India, Cameroon, Australia, Mexico, Zaire, and Brazil. So 200 languages in all these countries, while another 13 countries use over 100 languages. Okay, that's a lot. Europe is linguistically, as well as in its animal and plant diversity, generally quite poor compared to other parts of the world. Okay, so there you go. I think it is due to many different reasons. There's historical reasons for that. Uh, a France alone had uh, many different dialects and, and, and languages, but then uh, they decided to set one language, which is French, for the whole territory, for practical matters and reasons, right? Uh, so, you know, many, many changes uh, happen over time, which lead... To, to countries having just one national language, right? It, it makes sense to, in one way, right? I mean, for practical reasons, I guess, right? Anyhow, uh, let's move on to another part of the uh, of this conundrum. Let's talk about spoken uh, languages, how they, or speaking different languages, how speaking different languages can uh, help you, cognitively speaking, uh, I've spoken before how learning languages seem to provide protection against cognitive decline and against mental disease, um, for example, the case of Alzheimer's disease. So it's also beneficial, speaking different languages is also beneficial for recognition, for the brain, and for success and well-being across the entire lifespan. It's so not just because, not just for... Dementia or Alzheimer's, but across your multiple dimensions of the multiple dimensions of your life, speaking different languages is pretty beneficial. Now, there are several myths around language learning and multilingualism, at least in the United States. We're going to debunk those uh, different myths. So, there are attitudes towards bilingualism, uh, and sometimes they are confounded with attitudes towards immigration and multiculturalism, okay? Sometimes they are seen under a darker light, okay? Why? Why is that? Well, maybe because a lot of uh, migrants from different countries, uh, for example, we've got the case of Mexicans uh, in the United States they speak Spanish and they only speak Spanish and they're learning English. So sometimes the idea of being bilingual is not really cool in the States in the sense that they would uh, take that as knowing that this person, this kid from Mexico probably doesn't speak English very well. So they kind of like think of bilingualism as a handicap rather than than anything good because you need to be proficient in English in order to make it, right? In order to make something out of your life. So, at least in the US, right? Now, the assumption that English is the majority language has promoted the idea that learning a second language is only for those gifted. That's uh, different. That's another myth. Uh, uh, and and it's also not really uh, good. You don't need to be a genius to learn a... A, another language you all, all you have to do is just study right so um yeah just uh it's just another myth right uh and that there's more it used to be the case that people thought that introducing a new language during infancy could create confusion and delay in learning so that's a different myth as well uh we've proven that learning different languages during infancy is actually an asset, and it's really good for the cognitive development of the child. Yes, it might delay delay sometimes the learning process at the beginning, uh, but it surely enhances all other areas of the cognitive abilities of the child. Uh, it, It teaches children how to learn stuff in general, not just learn a new language, but what learning is like and how to learn stuff. Okay, so all of those myths that I just uh, mentioned have been debunked. They have proven to be false. So, quite the contrary, multilingualism from a young age has proven that children will have a better predisposition to learning languages and grammar. Language mixing, code switching, and other features of multilingualism have shown a higher degree of cognitive sophistication as opposed to a cognitive disability. So it's pretty much the opposite speak in different languages, shows cognitive sophistication. There you go. Likewise, being able to perform code switching, taking into account relevant social cues, shown and have shown an even more sophisticated system of overcoming obstacles. Okay, why? Code switching. So, a Mexican I live in. Let's let's give this as an example. A Mexican I live in the States. Sometimes with some people I would speak Spanish. Sometimes sometimes I would switch back to English. Sometimes I would code switch between the two depending on the circumstances. So, there's so many social cues that I have to read in my everyday life in order to switch uh, from English to Spanish and back uh, to English that is just so much more complex really uh all the data that i have to process and so my brain becomes faster and it it is just so much richer in terms of uh you know socially uh, or or even cognitively speaking is so much richer because i have to process so much more information so that's the script for the brain actually Okay, now, there is, however, a small disadvantage, well, I just mentioned that, that may occur in bilingual speakers as opposed to monolingual speakers in terms of having more difficulties sometimes to find words easily. Yeah, sometimes, uh, especially for children, the delay in learning sometimes uh, is notorious at the beginning. Sometimes they have a harder time finding this word and that word in that language or this language, which is normal because they have to kind of like play between two languages or three languages at the same time and kind of choose the right word for the language. Well, this is normal. No problem with that. And obviously that disadvantage is outweighed by all the positive gains that you get uh, from being a multilingual. Now, bilingualism confers advantages in executive control. That's true, the ability to carry out goal-directed behavior using complex mental processes and cognitive abilities, such as working memory and impulse inhibition. To illustrate how important executive control, I will just say this. Sometimes we have people who have executive dysfunction. So executive dysfunction is a behavioral symptom that disrupts a person's ability to manage their own thoughts, emotions, and actions. It is most common with uh, certain mental health conditions, especially addictions, behavioral disorders, brain development disorders, and mood disorders. There you go, so having executive dysfunction is absolutely not good for your brain, for your life, or for anything. So one of the many advantages of speaking uh, different languages would be to uh, improve uh, executive control. So so it's pretty, it's fantastic, right? So you would be having a better working memory, impulse inhibition, and you would be able to process complex uh, mental uh, processes much faster, uh, process data much faster. It's pretty good for your brain. It keeps you young. Anyway, research on bilingualism has already documented a delay of four to five years in the onset of Alzheimer's symptoms for bilinguals relative to age and education-matched monolinguals. Okay, well, what to say about this? This is... uh, this is amazing. And no, not known, no known pharmaceutical agent has any effect that comes close to bilingualism. So, uh, I mean, it, it, this is self-explanatory. So having a delay of four to five years in Alzheimer's disease, just because you are bilingual and you've played with these languages uh, from an early age and you haven't forgotten them and you practice them daily, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's mental fitness for your brain. So there you go another reason to learn foreign languages. (laughs) Anyway, guys, thank you very much for putting up with me. Uh, I hope you had a great time and please stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye.